You are now listening to the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast, where the worlds of sports medicine and performance collide. My name is Mike Quintins. I'm a physical therapist with an entrepreneurial mindset that specializes in treating orthopedic and sports injuries. I'm bringing on the brightest and sharpest in the field of sports medicine to share their best practices and explore the gap where medicine meets performance. What's happening, Performance Therapy Nation? This is Mike Quintins, your host of the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast. Today, we will be discussing everything concussions with two of the best in the business, vestibular certified physical therapist and athletic trainer, Mike Keenan, as well as Dr. Brandon Eck. Mike was on the podcast before to discuss concussions, as well as Dr. Eck, which we discussed his experience and roles in sports medicine, specifically endurance athletes and services he provides. First, I would like to thank our dedicated listeners for tuning in and offering feedback. We currently have a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts with several great reviews. This is how we can reach more people. So please take five seconds, go down to the bottom of the page, click the five-star rating and leave a few words about how the podcast has provided value to you. Thank you for taking the time to leave a rating and a review. It means more to me than you'll ever know. Dr. Eck, all right, so we're going to get into this concussion roundtable in just a second, but I've got a couple intros. Dr. Brandon Eck is a sports medicine physician that earned his undergraduate degree at Villanova University, where he ran track and field for the Wildcats. He then earned his medical degree at Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. He completed his residency in family medicine, and he also completed a sports medicine fellowship in Blacksburg, Virginia, the home of the Virginia Tech Hokies. So you were also at Radford University well, correct? That is correct. All right. And then you have, an, you have extensive experience in treating athletes of many disciplines, uh, and you're dedicated to the treatment of both athletes and non-athletes with orthopedic injuries, including sports injuries, overuse injuries, fracture care, and concussions. He is the team. You're also the team physician for the U.S. ski and snowboard teams. One of the one of the one team of the physicians. Many physicians. There's many of us. And all right, so Mike Keenan is, is a dual credentialed physical therapist and athletic trainer. Mike has been working in sports medicine and rehabilitation since 2008. During this time, Mike has worked with patients of all ages and physical ability from pediatrics to professional sports while with the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball organization. And he also specializes in vestibular and concussion based treatment. I've had the pleasure of working with Mike Keenan over the past several years. I can say with the utmost confidence that he is the best I've seen in treating concussions. Whether the patient was in in an automobile accident, work-related accident, or as a result of an athletic trauma or injury, Mike has always gotten that patient better and has seen seen results. So thank you for joining us today, guys. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Check us in the mail for that introduction. I appreciate it. (laughs) Told you to be quick. But no, this is cool. So the goal today is is let's, let's get, you know, Physician, PT, AT, and the building, and and let's you know let's dive into what is best practice, misconceptions about concussions, to how we treat them, what we can do to ideally mitigate our mitigate the risk of concussions. I think that'd be great to discuss too. So let's get into you know first things first. What is a concussion? What is our de- your definition of a concussion? You can go first, Doctor. So the way that I define a concussion is that it's not only if a f- it's it's a physical but also a physiological injury to the brain that happens when uh, a athlete or an individual in, you know, in, get hit in a car accident, whatever, uh, where uh, the brain moves 
in a in your skull uh, and you you know may hit your head on a non-movable or non-moving object so that your brain slams into the wall of your skull and then there is a reciprocal then slowing of the tissue uh, and that's going to cause not only some physical damage but it's also going to potentially cause some chemical physiological changes in the brain all right and so do you have anything else you want to add to that mike no, that's perfect. And we're going to get into the next phase of what the injury of a concussion is, which Dr. X will elaborate on. So how is so a traumatic brain injury? Is there any relation between a concussion and a traumatic brain injury, TBI? Yeah, I mean, there absolutely is. Um, you know, again, it definitely depends on the spectrum of how you define what a traumatic brain injury is. But, um, you know, at, at face value, we, we, a concussion is a mild traumatic brain injury. Right. And that's, that's what I was getting at. I know that the, that's something that's used commonly. So, uh, that, that, uh, terminology. So, um, all right. So tell me, uh, I'm curious your guys take on this. Like, wh what have you learned? What is most important to you about what you've learned about concussions since your fellowship? You know, as far as treatment or do you just mean in just, just in, in general, just in general, I mean, the number one thing is being able to recognize what is a concussion or what symptoms do we need to be looking out for when we're trying to evaluate an, an athlete or non-athlete for a potential head injury? And, and so Mike, I'm going to ask you the same, the same question since, um, you know, getting out of school, what would you say? Uh, and then obviously you graduated within your, you know, athletic training degree and went to PT school. So, you know, you've been exposed to concussions even before you got to PT school. Um, so going back all the way to then, if you'd like, what have you learned that's most significant about concussions? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I'm in a unique position where I see concussions at basically the beginning and the end, right? The very second it happens, if it's a you know, sports-related injury when I was an athletic trainer, and then the tail end after they've gone through the medical workup to get to physical therapy if it's, if it's required. Um, so, yeah, kind of to echo Dr. X's sentiments about it, um, you know, what we see as concussions, right, the, 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 the impact to the head or impact to the body that, then subsequently transferred force to the head, right? There's a couple of different things, but again, it's what Dr. X said, the, the, the movement of the brain inside the skull. Um, seeing that initially, you know, and it can present in many, many different ways, um, whether it's an on-the-field injury, right? The old bell rung thing used to be be the uh, the hot topic. We no, no longer use that. Sometimes people do sustain just a fleeting injury, and if they, you know, now we're getting off track, but, you know, on-field assessment, everything like that. Injury of the brain change in level of function, we'll call it, right? Assessment on the field and then on the back end, right? When then, you know, if they, if they have a concussion that is quote unquote prolonged, then I see them in physical therapy and that's a further and additional assessment of what systems that the brain controls has been affected and what we need to change to allow that individual to get back to whatever their prior level of function was. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I think you're right. And seeing what they looked at like at day one, how they present day one. And then you see them, you know, through that entire process through, you know, graduation from PT or when, you know, they've been cleared um, that, I mean, that's a huge change, right? So that's, uh, that's an interesting experience. So, all right. So we've defined what it was and what we've learned about concussions. Um, I want to get into how are we diagnosing concussions, concussions. So I know you're on sidelines, at, you know, at games. Um, how are we diagnosing concussions today? I mean, it's still based on a clinical exam, right? Yep. So if I'm on the sideline of a football game on a Friday night or I'm a wrestling mat on a Saturday morning or, you know, lacrosse game, whatever sport, soccer, um, basketball, 
And I, you know, I see an athlete, you know, get an elbow to the head, get the ball to the head, get, uh, uh, get clocked by a, a defensive backer or a safety or a linebacker on the football field. You know, they run into another player. Um, and we see that or a coach sees that or the tra athletic trainer sees that, or maybe even a parent sees it. Um, that's usually the first indication that we, that, you know, something may have happened and then whomever, you know, may have witnessed that injury is going to kind of relay an information uh, and or the kid comes to the sideline and, uh, you know, there's some, you know, speculation that it may have had a head injury and then, okay, they get pulled from the, from the, to the sideline. Okay. And then we got to, they should get evaluated. Now, again, there's many of these sporting contests where, somebody is not available to, you know, immediately evaluate these kids. Um, but then we're doing a, a, a clinical exam and, you know, that's been pretty well defined to be uh, what's called the SCAT five, the sideline uh, concussion assessment tool. Um, it's gone through several iterations. It's currently at level five uh, and it's a battery of tests. So just to, you know, kind of decide, is this a concussion? Is it not? Can this kid potentially go back and play? Do they need to be sat? And, uh, you know, and even regardless of whether they get a normal exam, you know, from, in my opinion, there probably should be a clinical, you know, reasoning to, that the kid probably shouldn't even return to play. But again, it's solely based on who's ever doing that evaluation and, you know, their judgment as to, you know, okay, this is a concussion, this is not. What does the SCAT 5 consist of? Uh, it can consist of several different things, but mainly uh, memory, both immediate and long-term, uh, balance, um, eye movement, um, and then a physical exam as far as, uh, you know, palpation of the neck and the head. So this should be performed when there's any speculation of a concussion, right? So this is, you know, we watch the, the blue tent come up in, in, you know, in the NFL now that's, that's what's being done, you know, in, in the tent, I would imagine more often than not, or back in the, in, in the locker room. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mostly it's going to have to be done in a quieter place. So that's why they have those, those blue tents on the professional sidelines or uh, in a locker room or in a, in a high school or a collegiate level program. Is it normal to do the examination immediately? Like what is expected in terms of time between speculated concussion and, and SCAT, right? The SCAT 5, like, you know, I how mean, much I, time? Ideally, you're talking about, you know, within minutes, um, but sometimes it's hours and in some situations it's even days. I mean, I guess one example would be, uh, I got a, a text message from an athletic trainer that I work with this morning about a concussion that happened yesterday. And he just evaluated the patient. He's like, I think they have a concussion. And, you know, I may not see that athlete until possibly early next week, but we still are suspicious or are suspicious of it. So, um, you know, may, he may do his assessment and then I'm not going to do my assessment for three or four or five days, but potentially before, you know, they may get a formal diagnosis of a concussion, but based on that suspicion, you know, the hope is that that athlete would not be allowed to return, maybe nor not even feel like returning to the field. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to, add to this? Yeah. So, and to talk about like your timeline of, do they get assessed right away or, or later on or whatever in the ideal situation, right? The Friday night lights, Dr. Eck was referring to where you have an athletic trainer, physician, you know, medical personnel on the sideline. That individual goes down with a suspected hand injury. They come off the field, right? They're assessed immediately, but to Dr. X's point, what the SCAT-5 does is, right, it looks at now and then, like, retest five minutes later for, you know, the memory um, um, issues, right? So they come off the field with a suspected injury. You're testing them right there if you have the resources. And in case of a Wednesday soccer game, you might not have everybody there. So then the, mo the mom calls the doc, 
Thursday, Friday, whatever, says, hey, my kid's not feeling right. So in an ideal situation, when there's medical coverage there, they're tested right on the field, right away, suspected brain injury. You can run the SCAT 5. You test it again five minutes later for the memory components, right? You, you make your assessment, and, you know, you sit the kid or, hey, you passed everything. You feeling all right? Like, yeah, you just got kind of worked up a little bit. All right. And they clear all the tests that you go through. And then, again, it's a medical judgment whether that individual can return to the field or not. I'm putting on my fan hat for a second. I'm taking off my PT hat. I have watched football games in college and in the NFL, and you see a player get his bell rung. He has that, you know, that foggy look, glassy look in his eyes. The arms even sometimes, you know, go rigid, you know, at contact when it initially happens. Posturing. Yeah, Thank you. That's immediate. Right. Exactly. You're, you're pulling them. And then I see them back on the field, you know, the next series. So how often are we missing – concussions with the SCAT 5. Uh, is there any, what, what is the data on the SCAT 5? And I don't expect you guys to know all, you know, reliability and credibility or not credibility, but reliability and uh, validity of these, of these tests. But obviously it's the fifth time, right? They, they've, they've gone around and edited, you know, the, the SCAT test. So um, obviously there has been provisions uh, and there will be more, I'm sure. So what are your guys thoughts on, on uh, it's the best tool we have right now, I, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's not foolproof. Again, you know, it could, you know, bring up, it could probably, it probably is not as good as it could be. And with some technological things that are coming available, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're getting better at recognizing what is truly a head injury or concussion and what may not actually be one. But at the end of the day, from my experience, this is the best tool that we have. And it is really the only thing beyond clinical experience that uh, a, PT and athletic trainer, a physician is going to have to really make a, a sound decision as to whether or not an athlete should or should not be allowed to return to the playing field. And I'm not familiar with you know, any, any hard numbers about, sure. you know, statistics about, you know, the validity of, of, of the SCAT tests. But I can, from what I can tell you is that get, if you have a normal test, you're much potentially more likely to not have a concussion than you are to have a concussion. But there's also a reason why we do serial evaluations. And if you still clinically think that a kid has a head injury, then you need to reevaluate that kid in 20, 30 minutes, an hour after the game. If it happened in the first half, you do it at halftime at the end of the game. And again, if you still think that they have it, even though their exam is normal, then you just don't let them play. It's right. part of a decision is it is that is sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Any, anything to add to that? No, that's 100% accurate. And, and you know, at the higher levels too, right. You know, NFL is an easy example. There's a second set of eyes, right. The spotter. Now, so even if, you know, you're like, mm, you know, that guy's calling in or, or whatever is calling in and saying, you know, you got to hold him out or whatever. Something just doesn't seal it. I believe kinda. it was the Alabama Auburn game this past weekend. There was a player that got pulled from the game for evaluation for that very reason. Oh, wow. I have never, I have never seen the medical spotter call a player to be evaluated on the sideline. Uh, up, up until this weekend since they implemented it. And wow. I actually performed that job in, in a game in 2017. So, I mean, it's been around for years, and it's nice that they did it, and it's it, they're actually doing their job. And, again, again, I think it's a very, um, uh, you know, valuable position, medically speaking. Gotcha. And, uh, and that's that's an interesting observation. That this is the first time, and I know we talk college football all the time. But I'm, and, uh, and I'm sure it's happened many more <laughs> no. times than I sure, can tell sure, you, sure. but from what I recall, the, yeah. this, the last time I watched a game as a fan and I saw that, this, I, I've, not, I've not seen it happen up until recently. Interesting. So we've covered the, you know, the on-field 
concussion, not concussion, that immediate diagnosis. Phase two, they're in your, they're in your office, right? So your sports med doc, they go to see you. Uh, this could be like the example you just gave. Today's Thursday. Yeah. Wednesday, uh, the concussion was diagnosed by the AT or believes the concussion occurred yesterday. Not going to see you until Monday. What are you doing in the clinic uh, when you see, when that patient comes in to see you? So, you know, from, from my perspective, I st- again, it's still, it's always going to be a head injury until I evaluate the patient. You know, um, you know, again, I still respect and I trust my, you know, my, my clinic, my colleagues to be able to, you know, really accurately say, oh, no, this is definitely a concussion uh, or no, it's not. But in my opinion, as the physician making, you know, the clinical direction from the majority of these patients, again, I should be the one ma- making a formal diagnosis. And so, I, again, I just say that because I consider it a head injury until they're evaluated in the office for whatever reason. Um, and that can have implications in, in many different things, but we don't have to discuss no, no, this now. That's but. important to discuss. We'll, we'll dive into that because that all dictates how soon they can get back to competition. Right. right. So, so yeah, go ahead, Dan, um, as you were. So if an athlete comes into my office, the way, you know, my assistant's going to, you know, help me, you know, help room the patient, blah, 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 blah. But the easiest thing for me to do is have her or him give the patient the, the symptom checklist that's a part of the SCAT-5. So essentially you know, part of my examination is, is doing a, uh, a scat five in the office and based on those symptoms, okay, I know, okay, well, what's worse, what's better. Uh, you know, and then if, if my, if a PT or an athletic trainer saw them initially, I can potentially get that score and I can see, is it better? Is it worse? Is it no different? And then I get an idea of, okay, well, what potential symptoms are, you know, is this individual expressing, and then, you know, from that information, you know, we can utilize and figure out what services they may need. So the biggest thing that I have to do is figure out, okay, do they have autonomic system symptoms? Is that just headache? Is that light noise sensitivity? Is that just fatigue? Are they having sleep issues? Then on top of that, then do they have dizziness? Do they have eye issues, problems seeing? Are they getting headaches, nausea and vomiting, uh, vision changes, um, especially, you know, trying to pay attention in school? Uh, or let's say drive a vehicle if they're not even an athlete. Then do they have cognitive issues, um, you know, mentally foggy, difficulty concentrating, thinking clearly, remembering. Um, you know, some of these kids don't even remember what happened, um, let alone the rest of the game if they, you know, for some reason, you know, were missed on the sideline and, and now they're in the office. Uh, and then lastly, mood. You know, are they really anxious? Are they really nervous? Are they feeling sad? You know, is there some, you know, really kind of depression type symptoms? Um, and then using all that information, I can then develop plan of treatment. But again, it comes down to, you know, using that SCAT-5 information to help make my exam expedient, but then uh, I'm going to then kind of pick where, okay, what other tests do I need to do in the office to decide what else do I need to offer this patient? So, so it seems like an almost, and again, I, this is going to be a common theme throughout this entire podcast, concussions, a concussion can result the symptoms from a concussion can be an array of symptoms. You just described pretty much all of them that I'm aware of, at least. I think you'd named like 20 different things that that individual could be experiencing that would be correlated to their diagnosis of a concussion. So I'm curious what, okay, so you've made these observations or, you know, they filled out the checklist. Do you perform another SCAT at that point? Um, or are you now taking these symptoms and now you're deciding, okay, they need ocular motor therapy or they need physical therapy or they need, you know, just rest, you know, I guess, how do you dictate what is done next? 
Well, a, so first off, it depends on how long it's been since the original injury. You know, again, are they better? Are they worse? Or are they no different? You know, and that initial period is really kind of the big rest period that they they potentially need. And then the question is, is do they need more rest? And what type of rest do they actually need? Um, so when I examine a patient, um, they're going to get the symptoms score, you know, right when I walk in the room. And then I'm going to do balance. I'm going to, you know, look at their eye motion. I'm going to do some you know, dizzy uh, vestibular testing, it's called. I'm going to check all their cranial nerves, just make sure everything's working and operating. Uh, I'm going to have a conversation with them, you know, maybe their parents if they're if they're under 18 and, and decide, okay, you know, what what observations has mom or dad made that are that's concerning or, uh, you know, may kind of reassure us that, okay, no, this is their normal baseline. And then maybe some events surrounding what actually happened. Again, if it's maybe not an athlete, uh, an athletic injury, or maybe it's a car accident, whatever, to again decide, okay, you know, is this a, was it a significant injury? What type of injury was it? Again, was it a blow to the head? Was it, uh, you know, blow to the body? You know, was it just getting hit with the airbag in a, in a vehicle? You know, whatever it was. And then again, using all that information from a clinical persp- perspective to then develop a, a treatment plan. Yeah, and I, and I think it's also important to mention that you're also trying, your responsibility is also to rule out anything that could be severe uh, that would, you know, indicate, okay, we need, you need to go to the ER or this could be, you know, there could be a fracture There could be, you know, so you're getting maybe x-rays and things like that, some imaging or you're doing, you know, vertebral artery testing, et cetera. So obviously you want to rule out anything that's severe as well. So I think that's also important to mention that it's not only, you know, diagnosing the concussion, but let's make sure it's not anything serious going on as well. And there's uh, even, I mean, I'll even bring up the point, you know, a lot of people talk about this, these blood tests that are coming out. We're like, oh, I need this blood test that's going to recognize a concussion. And we're like, well, you know, it hasn't been clinically proven that that is, you know, that is an absolute necessity, you know. And so, you know, it maybe have some validity if, 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 if there's some question as to whether or not, you know, so, that a head injury or concussion has actually occurred. But it could be a useful tool, and it's definitely still in a development going forward. So, again, I'm excited to see where it goes. But you know, again, that's something else that, you know, it's on the radar. Yeah. I mean, technology is going to be the future with, with, with concussions, right? Uh, we had the impact test at one point, which I know isn't, you know, utilized as much now, but uh, you know, there's going to be, in my opinion, there's going to be testing in the future, but you know, baseline or post or a blood test. So, so you've diagnosed concussion at this point in, in the office. What's next? Let's say, and I know you said it all depends on if they've improved since the initial trauma or not. So let's say they've, slightly improved or there is little to no improvement. So it's not worse, but it's not necessarily much better. Anything, maybe it's more of the same. Before we move forward, I yeah, do sure. want to make the point of, uh, you know, impact testing and then the other, so other, other, some other apps that are out there and that our schools are using. I do use that information if I have it available. Many schools can't afford the cost of some of these tests. You know, there are a lot of schools that have implemented impact testing as a baseline and also, you know, after an injury. And it's, it is really important if they have that stuff that, that I, that I see that is it absolutely necessary. I, I, I will honestly say no. Uh, Cause again, it still comes back to, you know, based on my clinical assessment or any physician's clinical assessment as to whether or not, again, based on, you know, what we know, best principle practices, is this a concussion? Then again, I use all that information to decide, okay, yes, what services, you know, are, you know, are recommended for these types of injuries. Is it more imaging? Is it maybe some blood work just to make sure nothing else kind of interesting is going on? Is it physical therapy? And then, you know, again, we're definitely going to dive into this, I hope. Again, what type of 
physical therapy because there's several different ones that are out there. Yep. Do they need to go see a headache specialist? Do they need to go see an eye specialist? Do they need to go see uh, a psychi- a psychiatrist? Do we need to talk about counseling and some other things that um, you know are can be very helpful in managing these types of patients? Okay, so um, yeah, where, where's the best way to go with this one? Where, where do you want to go with this next, Doctor Eck? I mean, I don't think we have to really dive into uh, you know a lot of the accessory types of uh, specialties that can get involved in this, but you know, again as I mentioned, all those different symptoms and all those different systems that can get, be affected because of, you know, their importance in brain function. Um, you know, again, I'll utilize a headache specialist every now and then if there's a complicated case that I just don't know how to manage more often than not recognizing, you know, anxiety, depression, uh, and then some of the cognitive dysfunction that can be something that I can very quickly say, okay, you know, we need a neuropsychiatric evaluation for these kids. And I would be, uh, a little bit more expedient in getting some of these kids into that office faster because it can help dictate care as well as dictate whether, you know, academic accommodations need to be facilitated earlier rather than later, as opposed to just saying, no, you, Johnny shouldn't go to school for the next two weeks or Johnny shouldn't, you know, oh no, Johnny's okay to go back to school today. Um, because that's one of the biggest stimuli that they're going to be faced with, you know, very quickly if they're, you know, in high school and even college or middle school, where whatever age they're at. Um, and then, you know, the more common ones that I refer to would be, uh, you know, an ophthalmologist or an optometrist. If, if I'm concerned for an eye injury, maybe getting some eye therapy, uh, you know, which is a very special, like occupational therapist, uh, okay. you know, kind of position. Um, and then in the physical therapy realm, you know, which I send majority of the patients to, and oftentimes are going to use that one, number one, and then all these other things separate from that is, is it just physical therapy? for neck pain or a headache or, uh, you know, muscle spasm, whatever, but is it also vestibular dysfunction? Is it maybe some ocular eye stuff that needs to be addressed and who, as far as the therapists that I know of in the area or I have rapport with who are able to take care of all, all, or even just one of those, those dynamics. So you mentioned rapport, uh, in there with the physical therapist, that's of the utmost importance because there needs to be a communication between the physical therapist and you based on what they are seeing as the, the patient hopefully progresses, right? Cause you saw the patient for an hour, four days after the injury or two days or one day after injury, or maybe it was just on the sideline. Nonetheless, from that office visit to the PT two weeks later, a week later, I mean, the time, you know, Mike Keenan would spend with the patient is hours, you know, 12 hours, eight hours, six hours, more than, than you've seen that patient. So I think it's, I'm going to echo that communication, you know, until I'm blue in the face, because that's, in my opinion, that's where the collaboration between the two really comes together in optimizing care for, you know, for that patient. 100, 100% agree on that one. Yeah. So, 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 all right. So you would recommend physical therapy, vestibular uh, dysfunction, et cetera, but essentially like on the script that you're giving to the patient, are you diving into, are you, are you, you're documenting what you want the PT to take a look at? Correct. Is that? Yeah. That 100%. I mean, again, I, and yeah. I'm like, all right, this patient has, uh, neck pain. Okay. So we, okay. Uh, I want neck pain. Okay. Well, what kind of stuff do I want them to do? Do I want you to do spinal manipulation? Do I want soft tissue stuff? You know, maybe they want to do some, you know, if you're, if, if it's available in your state, dry needling, you know, maybe an option. Is it just stretching? You know, what kind of, co- kind of component do we need to focus on? If it's, if there's, you know, a vestibular component, okay, well, we need to work on maybe doing an Epley maneuver or something uh, to help with that kind of system. And then 
work on balance. Um, if there's an eye issue, okay, we're going to do some visual things. Um, and then, you know, over a series of visits, it may be putting all of those pieces together, you know, as we address all the several different components and, you know, let the body, you know, kind of help facilitate the recovery of, of that athlete. Okay. So, so that, so there's a diagnosis for PT and I would say my opinion, and I want your take on this. I sure. want you to dive into treatment, um, and well, assessment and treatment. It is not very, I don't think it is the most common that a physician would see sports med doc would see a patient student athlete within three to four days after the initial trauma. Are they seeing you in less than a week? How common does that occur? How, how often are you seeing a concussion within a week of, of the initial trauma, Mike? Yeah, I, th I would say very infrequently, but to Dr. X's point, when you have a good rapport with someone, that's going to happen faster, right? So if Dr. X trusts me, he's like, you know what, you know, instead of just seeing like, let's reevaluate in three or four days, we identify Johnny has a concussion, you know, it might be in that set and we can talk about percentages. It might be in that 70% that recovers in seven to 10 days, which I know refers back to what me, you and Steve were talking about on the previous podcast, but you know what, I'm going to send him over to Mike. Uh, you know, I think there's some stuff going on here, right? That happens fast because he knows what I do and we have that rapport. I'd say that's a small percentage, just, you know, given my experience. Sure. Most of the time, I think it is a, a further delay and it's more of a delay of Johnny getting to Dr. Eck than it is Dr. Eck sending Johnny to Mike, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, and that usually happens because, you know, if I, you know, going back to my AT days, somebody gets injured on the field or it was a athletic event that wasn't covered, right? They go home, you know, I fell off, whatever. I go to sleep. Mom and dad say, just take it easy for the weekend, right? You're not feeling better. Come Monday. All right, let's call and get in, get in a few days later. You get evaluated. Maybe it's by your pediatrician who might not, again, you know, specialize or, you know, uh, go all in on concussion type stuff. So they say, all right, rest a little bit longer because that was the old, you know, world thought process. They're not better, right? They go in for reassessment. Okay, now the flags get raised. So at that point, the original injury might have been three weeks ago, right? So at that point, that's what I'm seeing um, usually is that it's several weeks after the initial injury do they get to me. Yeah. But do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. I mean, again, if you guys want to, you know, talk about, you know, literature that's out there, yeah. um, there, no, there was a great article in 2020 that I found. Um, and I talk about this article a lot. Um, it was in the Journal of Neurosurgery for, for, in Pediatrics, and they looked at uh, the association of time to clinic visit uh, with prolonged recovery in pediatric patients uh, with concussions. Um, and for those that like stats, uh, odds ratios here, um, early versus late presentation, so less than seven days versus eight or more days, the odds ratio was 9.8. So, so, you know, yeah, so, 10 times, yeah. essentially, the, the likelihood of having prolonged symptoms. And average recovery is, what, two weeks? Okay, so that's twice the normal uh, already if you're a week behind about presentation to wow. seeing, getting evaluation. Physical exam findings, if you have a, a positive VOMS uh, uh, um, uh, assessment, it's only five times, 5.18. History of migraines, four Okay, so four times more likely to have uh, prolonged recovery. Uh, and then just based on the primary concussion symptom score checklist, uh, the odds ratio was 1.04. So essentially, you know, not much more than baseline. So again, that's why we come up all with all of these things. And 
we can say this until we're blue in the face, but the faster you get these kids evaluated, the faster that we're going to recognize these concussions, the faster we're going to get them treated and the faster we're going to get them back. I think if there's one thing I can, I hope our listeners take from this, it's that these, these athletes and anyone who's you're skeptical or speculating a concussion, they need to get the help into the right help now, yesterday, right? Like, and you had, that was a great example that you said, Mike, cause that's reality, right? Uh, you know, Johnny got his bell rung. We'll see how he feels tomorrow. And then they practice Saturday morning, the walkthrough, you know, after football, I know that's common with concussions and, and they do what they watch film and there's no AT there that morning. Cause they just worked the 70 hour week fair. Uh, and then Sunday comes around, Monday comes around and now we're three days later. And now the ATCs, you know, Johnny, hopefully Johnny went in to see the AT cause I know football, they might be off on Monday. So then they come in on Tuesday and maybe they see, you know, the AT then, and then they refer, you know, to sports medicine, hopefully sports medicine, but if they see the pediatrician and then they see, or they see your know, neurologist, not that they're not equipped to see, you know, sports concussions, but I, mean, I think we have to ask ourselves how many sports concussions are they seeing, you know, a year compared to sports medicine. That's just reality. Right. So, so I know I'm dragging this out, but they got to get to the right person now, now, like we can't waste time and you can go to urgent care to get a script or get an authorization to see, you know, we're dealing with insurance. We're dealing with, you know, availability. We're dealing with schedule conflicts. We're dealing with situations at home. We're dealing with education. There's so many variables and what may cause a delay in getting to the right provider, which is like you said, 10 times, you know, 10 times more likely to delay care or to de delay, a, you know, return to recovery. So I, I'm, I'm happy you brought that up. And, um, I mean, there's even an, I have another study too. Yes, that's yeah. the exact same thing. Two key takeaways from this study. Uh, and this study was titled average symptoms, severity and related predictors of prolonged recovery in pediatric patients with concussion also published in 2020. Symptom severity was, was, was more likely to indicate, um, a related uh, prediction of uh, prolonged recovery as well as the length of time until initial evaluation. Yeah. And it's, just a, it's, you know, the same thing over and over. And my, my, so. the big thing, and you know, I talk about all the athletic trainers for the schools that we work with. Um, and the, you know, ideally if you know you have a concussion and you're a clinician, whether you're an athletic trainer, a physical therapist provider, um, two to three days, should be the kind of like ideal window for uh, that athlete to be in the office. They've had a little bit of time to have some brain rest, kind of recover, get their feet underneath them. They may not be normal. They may be worse, but at least you, they've had some brain rest and kind of complete brain rest. When I say that no school, uh, you know, most often it's going to happen in football on a Friday night. So by Monday, they should be in the office Tuesday at the latest to be evaluated and at least kind of be aware of, you know, so-and-so has symptoms that, that we potentially need to be treating. So we, again, we can minimize their, their, their recovery time. Yeah. It's all about efficiency and then resources and, and communication. Which I, are, which are all big pieces of this pie that are hard. With that, without a doubt, because it takes time and energy and it's, it's tough. I mean, I get it. Um, so I want to dive into the assessment if, if we're good to move on from, yeah, from I just that to, piece. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I just want to echo uh, Dr. X sediments about 24, 48 hours, right? complete relative total rest. Um, and then with the assessment part, it's one of the things I wanted to mention. We can only help. We can't, it can't hurt to get assessed. It can't hurt to be, have go through a vestibular evaluation. Can't hurt to go through an oculomotor assessment. Can't hurt to go through a scat five and everything like that. So it's one of those things where we're in a, we're, we're in a nice position where, you know, you have an injury, suspected concussion, 
24 to 48 hours rest, perfectly good. Still our top recommendation, right? And then get assessed. Even if you're feeling good, right? Just get assessed because we can only help. We can't make anything worse. And we might find something that's underlying, right? That might not have got noticed because, ah, yeah, I'm okay, mom. I'm good. You know, yeah, I'm fine to go back to school. Three days back into school, now there's nausea, vomiting, headaches, you know, all that stuff. So that's kind of where we lie right now in terms of triage, uh, uh, you know, of a suspected concussion. Gotcha. Yeah. So, all right. So Dr. X sends a patient over to you. You're, you know, you're doing your, your initial assessment. What does that initial assessment consist of? Yeah. So obviously, you know, hopefully again, we talked about rapport, hopefully I have a good rapport with Dr. X, you know, shot me a message. Hey, Johnny's coming in to see you. This is what I'm thinking, you know, wrote it on the script, but you know, just getting into to some intricacies. I take that information and then go through my evaluation. Right. And, and in clinic, I don't, you can, I don't necessarily use SCAT five because normally they've received all that. So I'll do my symptom checklist, just like, you know, Dr. Will and everything like that. Um, and then the assessment part will kind of take some several phases. If I suspect, and again, this is going to me and there's different things that you can see out there, but if I suspect that it's a, a BPVV, which Dr. Eck had mentioned before, right? That's the first thing I'm going to look at. We can dive into the intricacies of what that is, but. That's based on symptom report. Correct? Exactly. Everything's gotcha. based on a symptom report. Thorough subjective history, right? You knock that out. You're going to know 95% of what you need to know. The other 5% is my objective testing and assessment. So if that's suspected, right, that's going to be my first thing. We won't dive into that. I don't think that's the purpose of our talk, but we can if any listeners reach out to you. I can always throw something else out there. Cool. So look at that. Then I'm going to look at their ocular motor assessment, right? So, and again, a lot of this is going to echo Dr. what Dr. X said. I'm looking to see various tests of how their eye movement is, how their eye movement teams with their head movement, okay, and seeing if that brings on symptoms. Right. And I, you know, again, symptom checklist. All right. You had a three out of 10 headache. Now it's a five out of 10 with that specific test. Okay. That's a system that we need to address from there. And again, this is all, sometimes I do this over two days, depending on how symptomatic they are. From there, I look at a balance assessment. Okay. Um, there's various balance tests out there. You look at a balance assessment. If something red flags, boom, it's on your checklist. From there, again, they might not pass that. They might stop there and their, their symptoms are past what my threshold is, which is a two-point rule that I use. And again, we can get into that too as we go forward uh, about how to guide treatment. They get past that. Then I take an aerobic assessment, which is a bulk or buffalo treadmill, whatever you want to look up. Similar concepts, graded aerobic activity. So you're gradually increasing their heart rate to seeing if there's a, a, a symptom threshold reach. So again, you're grading their initial symptoms. Take that window, you know, symptom rule, you're looking at that. And finally is when I look at the neck. So I kind of take all those pieces together, all right? So you're looking at the vestibular function. And again, I'm guiding this off of, of, of Dr. Eck. If it's primary visual, he's probably already reached out to the vision therapist. So I'm going to look at vision stuff too. Say that's their wheelhouse. I'm going to coordinate with them, vision and vestibular. And there's all different types of concussion, mood-based, cognitive-based, aerobic, you know, uh, uh, insufficiencies. There's all different things. But that's kind of my step process. Symptom checklist, look at what's going on hit all the different systems, vestibular, balance, aerobic, neck. Again, if vision's part of there, that's kind of within my vestibulocular exam, but I'll guide that way too. You know, as I, you know, have a good vision therapist on board. And then that's when you develop your complete treatment plan of what you're going to do with the athlete or the individual. Okay. So just clarification on a couple of things. You mentioned sure. flags uh, and the two-point rule. And I'm, you know, I'm very familiar with the two-point rule. 
flags would be an increase in two points, right? Yeah, so that, that, and that's a baseline, right? Correct. So uh, a lot of stuff with concussion, right? It's not a it's not a broken bone that you see on an X-ray. So it's very uh, gray. So I try to make it as as black and white for a patient as possible, right? You know what that headache feels like. You're going to grade it on a scale of zero to ten. You know, I keep it try to keep it as simple as possible. If you're at whatever number you are, you are allowed to do activity. You're allowed to live your life, do things within two points of that initial symptom. Right? That's your symptom window. You go past that. Now we're going to hinder your ability to recover, right? So um, that's what I use. It again, that's for the treadmill test. That's for right. all of our stuff that we're doing. And I tell them that's for daily activity. I try to get any individual I'm seeing back to as much normal activity as soon as, you know, feasibly possible quicker. Cause we know that's the research, right? It's don't put them in a dark room and shut them down 24 to 48 hours. Now let's start graded exposure to activity within a symptom, you know, threshold. And I use two points. I know there's probably research out there, two to three points, you know, there's different things. I like to. Yeah, that's that. That's I'm I'm happy you, you dove into that because that guides your treatment. That's your baseline values, right? To 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 your treatment going forward. So if they did, you know, saccades or VOR, and they lasted 13 seconds, it went from three to a five. We're shutting them down, but I know our baseline's 13 seconds, and that's going to dictate your prescription for exercise at home. Is that correct? Exactly. So now you also have ob- objective measures, right? Like we're proving that this this patient. This individual could do 13 seconds of a VOR test. All right. And then this is going to be your homework. This is how you're going to control what you need to control. There's a couple other things with VOR, but again, that's kind of a side note. Then, you know, you come in, you retest, right? You're at 30 seconds now. All right. That's objective improvement. Okay. You stayed within symptoms. You still may have that three out of 10 headache, but now you've gained, you know, endurance in that system without elevating your symptoms. Right. So that like, again, trying to make a very gray, issue black and white for these people. Right. And, and, and uh, the other thing I'm gathering is education, right? And you educated, you know, day one, uh, whether from the sideline to in, in your office on, on what expectations are and what exactly they're dealing with and, and how to deal with it and, and the family as well and what they need, right? Like what is, what services is most important to them and why right now. And then, and then same with you, Mike, I mean, you're educating on the two point rule. They can live their life, right? You have to explain that to them within this two point rule. I mean, that's extremely important because if they're in class and they're taking a test or they're reading in front of the class or they have to do a presentation and that jumps up four points and they continue to work through that, that could set them back. Right. Is that fair? Is that fair to assume how important education is in, in this? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, but the problem is, is that, you know, again, this is a very gray injury and, you know, I can tell you one thing and it may be mirror what Mike says, but it may not mirror what, what another therapist says. And that's why that rapport is very important, you know, with your referral network as a clinician. Um, And then, you know, the other big problem I see is the schools. Okay. Uh, and teachers and, and the administrators would be like, okay, well, you know, Johnny can do that presentation, but like, we might want to wait a month or, you know, he, he's not allowed to take tests. And, and then they, they eventually make them make up all those tests or quizzes that they missed. And Johnny's been stressed about it for weeks. And, you know, that might add an, a week or two or even three, cause he's been stressing about it all that time. Cause he knows he's got to make up all that extra work that he may or may not have missed. And, I don't think that's fair, uh, but 
you know, again, that's another discussion that we can have. Um, but again, from recovery though, there is still a, 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 a very large educational gap from the clinical side, not even just from like physician to therapist or physician to trainer or, you know, clinician to clinician, but more importantly from the clinician to the public. Well, well said. And that, that's the purpose of this podcast, right? Let's be honest. It's to bring awareness to, to, you know, the, the invisible diagnosis that is a concussion, right? So, so to me, uh, you know, the PT, the physician, the AT, the coach, the teacher, the parents, the siblings, all of those, all of those people, friends have a direct impact on, on the activities and, and essentially the, you know, provocation of symptoms for that individual. So, so I think that's, you know, absolutely important that the public understands that I know I can't see that Johnny isn't feeling good right now, but I just told him that he has a test in a month and I, that's met, that could mess with him. Right. So sensitivity, awareness of that and, and policy change eventually, like I know we're getting deep into the weeds a little bit with this, but you're this, the, all of these things. And I know Mike's like, nodding his head over here because I've seen Mike talk with a patient for 15, 20 minutes at the beginning of, of a session. And I'm sitting there like, what are you, you going to start working with him or what? Like, what's the deal? But he's purely like un, trying to understand. And then when mom comes back to pick, you know, pick Johnny up, Mike is having a discussion with mom. Like he's like sitting down in, in the waiting room and saying, listen, this is what's going on. This is what I'm seeing. And, you know, I know you're not going to, you know, you're not going to brag about this, but like that, that is more valuable than any other resource that we offer. And I'm not the concussion specialist, you know, you two are, but I can tell you from the outside looking in, you know, especially even now as a father, like that is more valuable. You educating mom and taking the time to spend time with mom and informing mom or dad, whoever, you know, what you saw, what your observations were, what he's probably dealing with or she's dealing with right now. That's more valuable than anything else. Uh, absolutely. Education is our biggest weapon. Um, you know, if 90% is my subjective history, 9% is education and 1% is what I actually do. You know what I mean? And it's really that big of, of a sway. Um, I'll give a, a just quick anecdotal story. I had a woman I was treating for a vestibular dysfunction in the clinic. Her son, who was battling a different brain injury over a year, all of a sudden hit his head again. So now he's back to square one. Her symptoms were gradually getting better, okay? Improving objectively and subjectively. All of a sudden, gets worse, right? Nothing changed. What changed? Her son had an injury, right? So there's your stress. And so explaining that to her of how stress uh, can, can have an impact on orthopedic, neurologic conditions and make things worse, a little salt on the open wound, allowed her to kind of come back to baseline of like, okay, wow, I actually am better. Right. And so like, that's all education, right? If I try to explain it any other way, I'm not making sense. Like what changed? Nothing changed. Right. The thing that changed was an impact in her personal life that caused a lot of stress, which worsened everything that was currently happening. So again, that's where education across the board from all of us, medical providers is huge. Yeah. Communication, um, man. Yep. Communication. Yeah. And listening, taking the time to listen, not thinking, oh, I got two other patients in two other rooms right now. I got, you know, I got to get out of here. Yeah. And that, that, listen, that's the reality of the, the nature of the beast that we, you know, that we work in, in, in healthcare in the United States today. So I get it, but we got to make sure we're, we're doing, doing right. So, all right. So you identify all of these, you know, the deficiencies, right? The, the flags as you call them. Um, 
how do you treat now, right? Like, and you look at the neck, you're looking for tightness, muscle tightness, joint mobility. Some of the things I know that, you know, you've spoken about, what is the range of motion of the neck? Um, are we looking at thoracic spine at all? Like, are we looking at that? Uh, thoracic spine's your wheelhouse, Mike. You can talk about that. <laughs> no, it helps, no, no, it helps no, fix no, everything. Not, well, not, not necessarily in relation to cut the, to concussions. I mean, I, I, my, I, my personal theory, I don't have a ton of support. I think that influences, we should be looking at thoracic spine before we look at the neck. Most of, in most neck injuries, concussion's a little bit different, right? That's trauma. So we have to look at the neck. I think we can't ignore the, the thoracic spine though, in my opinion. And you, you know, you, you work with your hands every day in, in, in the clinic, Dr. X. So, um, you know, obviously the thoracic spine can have a direct impact on, on the cervical spine and we can have compensations up and up and down that, you know, the thoracic spine because of limitation of mobility, et cetera. I mean, why, right. why stop at the thoracic spine? Why as well go down to the lumbar oh, spine or the hips? Let's, 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 let's get down there. We can go big toe up. If we want, you know, we can start the whole thing. <laughs> like this is, but this is real talk. I think this is something that, again, if, if there are significant you know, again, I'm giving my expert opinion on it. If there are deficits in mobility at the cervical spine, why aren't we looking? And I'm not saying we're not, but a lot of people probably aren't. Why aren't we looking at the thoracic spine? Why aren't we looking at the lumbar spine? Are we are we clearing the lumbar spine? Are we doing our repeated movements, side bending, flexion, extension? Are we clearing our thoracic spine? Because that can have a direct impact or compensate for a lack of mobility at the cervical spine. So, you know, that's the, my manual therapy, you know, kicking in there. But that's, I'm with that's how I feel about it. I'm with you, Mike. And what I would say is, uh, you know, I guess it would depend on the, it's individualized, right? Patient, Fair. patient, right? So if it's a, uh, activity where, you know, not that no, not everyone should benefit from thoracic mobility, right? We know that, but if it's an activity where maybe they need a little bit more and th because of the injury, like that was restricted, then absolutely. That's going to be a, a top priority when you're looking at it. If it's somebody who it's, you know, kind of a, a, a pure whiplash thing and there really isn't enough, right? You can screen it, but I'm still going to focus into the neck. So I would love to do a total body screen with everybody, right? It'd be nice if we had that time. Um, then we just got to talk to all the insurance companies to see if they start <laughs> kicking it to us. Well, I think the reality, I, I genuinely believe this. The reality is if I'm working on the neck and I'm not seeing improvements at the cervical spine and there aren't traumatic, you know, thoracic deficiencies in mobility, uh, you know, and I'm working on the neck and I'm not seeing as much of an improvement in, in neck pain, right? And now I'm diving a little bit deeper into thoracic sure. spine, like, like much deeper, um, than, than a, a, a movement assessment in my opinion, personally. But um, that movement assessment starts before the patient is even on the table. Let's be real here, guys. Go ahead. You're right. Pull an analogy from, you know, your CPR class here, look, listen, and feel. Okay. You got to watch the patient walk to, to your office or into your office, your, your clinical space, whatever that is. Uh, you're going to listen to them, tell you a story about whatever happened and you know, how they're feeling. And then you're going to put your hands on them, right? Sure. I mean, yeah, if I'm going to take anything, any valuable lesson from, you know, high school football here is, is where that, where that uh, ball handler is going to go is by watching his hips. All well right. Said. So, um, on the treadmill, know, I'm going to know, watch them move no matter what they're doing, how they're getting up off the table, how are they getting up out of the chair, how they're breathing. Okay. That I'm going to use all that information. Um, and you know, I have to put my osteopathic hat on when I say all that stuff, because those are all important things that I'm going to utilize when I potentially am going to treat a patient, you know, with my hands, uh, or I'm going to send them to a, a physical therapist that's going to do the same thing. And I would hope that they, that we can communicate or they understand that, you know, my expectation is that they're going to be, you know, again, doing all of those things and then putting their hands on the patient. What's unique about this is that it's a neuro condition, right? It's a, and, but there can be mechanical, you know, 
you know, issues or deficiencies or, or deficits in mobility or, or stability, right? Sure. Uh, you know, especially in the cervical spine. So, um, you know, I think that it's all relevant and it just goes to show how, how complex concussions are. I mean, we, we just spent five minutes talking about manual therapy and, and how that can impact concussions, you know? Right. Yeah. So, so, uh, I, I want to dive deeper into, um, all right. So treatment thresholds, yellow flags, you know, or flags in general, how are you, um, how was treatment then dictated based on the, the deficits that were identified in your initial assessment? Sure. So if somebody's more visual dominant with their symptoms, right? Like, you know, eye movement, saccade, smooth pursuits really set them off. Sensitivity, sensitivity to light, sensitivity to certain motions, um, certain things like that. Then I'm going, you know, vision therapy, right? Like with probably no one's pure vision usually, no one's pure vestibular, usually, usually some kind of blend. Um, but if it's visual dominant, you know, you're finding yourself to a vision therapist. Um then, so that would be kind of one subsection. And there's, like Dr. Eck was pointing out, you know, there's six, I think, different subsections of, you know, uh, uh, classifications of a concussion. I'll talk about the, the ones that we usually see. So vision, vestibular, right? Like sensitivity to certain motions. Maybe it's that BPPV where, where turning over calls room spinning sensation, pure vertigo. Um, if it's a, uh, you know, a head eye movement, mismatch, which is that VOR that you were talking to, right? So there's a specific grouping or style of physical therapy interventions called vestibular therapy that work on that, which balances under that too, right? So somebody's unsteady on their feet. So we're treating them with balance exercises. Somebody is intolerant to, and I usually, I test this on everybody anyway, intolerant to a ro- or heart rate increases, right? So now we're talking about the, 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 the physiological changes in the brain that occur with concussion you know, mismatches of where the electrolytes are, stuff like that. So, um, you know, we grade their heart rate, right? We grade the, the, the pumps, you know, so how much blood is getting in the brain and they're going to get to a symptom threshold. Okay. So that's your spot. That's where you exercise at sub threshold heart rate. Um, most of the time, you know, people will kind of understand that and say, all right, so like, you know, Again, two, I use two-point rule because not too many people have the Fitbit that they look at. Maybe nowadays they do. I don't know. I'm, I'm still troubled with Microsoft Word. Get me back to 97 and we're good. <laughs> um, so, you know, I could tell them, all right, at, at 130, you hit your two points. So you got to go sub, sub 130 on your heart rate. But most people just, again, I give them two-point two point rule. They can follow that. So they do sub-maximal exercise. So that's another. And again, talking about the spine, if you think about the neck, right? Well, one, there's cervical receptors. Okay. So there's receptors that tell you where you are in space in your neck. So if your neck's not moving, it's not giving that brain the information, you can feel dizzy. Additionally, you're also going to have uh, the restriction or the spasms of the muscle because maybe turning your head makes you dizzy. So you're not going to want to turn your head anymore, right? So almost always, I can't remember a concussion where I didn't look at or work on the neck to some extent, even if there's no neck pain, right? They just haven't moved their head a lot because since the injury, they don't want to move because they get dizzy. So that's kind of the sequences of treatments, right? We can do all that within the physical therapy clinic, um, you know, minus maybe the vision, right? Which would be a little bit more specific, which you refer out to. Um, and 99% of the time that's going to be like Dr. X going to, that's already going to be in, in place. Um, so that's kind of where we go with, with the physical therapy treatment. Um, and again, you're looking for, um, you know, adherence to the symptom rule. If, if anyone takes anything out of this podcast from a, PT perspective is the symptom rule. Like you adhere to that. 
you will make steady progress and get better barring any unforeseen incidents. You can stay in that window. You will allow yourself to heal. Uh, and then again, we just kind of take it from there with the complexity of exercises based on each individual's needs. Yeah. So how many times a week will they see you, Mike? Yeah, usually with concussion, I usually do twice. Um, if it's an initial stage, they're going to have vision once a week. That's usually what the, at least the, the, the vision people that I work with is a once a week treatment. Um, so, you know, you're doing one vision to two vestibular or two bounds, you know, whatever we're doing in PT. And that's usually pretty good because a lot of this, the home exercises for them are, we're working reflexes. So they have to do a lot on their own. Like just coming in twice a week, I'm not gonna make somebody come five times a week. I don't even think an insurance would pay for that, but they can do these simple reflexive exercises knowing the symptom rule, right? Three times a day, every single day at home. I then get to gradually progress as they come through. Uh, so usually twice a week is is what I recommend. That's, a, that's important to reiterate. Three times a day, they're doing their exercises at home. Yeah, if it's a if it's a specific uh, like vestibular ocular or psychotic kind of issue where, where where it's a a reflex between how your head moves and what your eyes can do in that ratio. Yeah, they, they we're retraining a reflex. When you hit somebody's knee with a hammer, they don't think about it, right? It just happens. We're, we have to retrain that because that's not happening anymore, which is why people can feel off or dizzy or nauseous or, you know, you know, an array of symptoms. So they can't do it once a day and expect that to get better. It's repetition, 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 repetition. Make it accurate. Stop when it's inaccurate. So you're not training something to be inaccurate. And that's, that's huge. How, how long after that initial uh, evaluation in your clinic, Dr. Eck, are you, are you following up with that patient typically? I mean, every patient's different, so it really just yeah. depends on, you know, my access to the patient, my access to the therapists, and, you know, what services are we going to have to, um, you know, employ. And from my perspective, it's, you know, totally a guess as to, okay, should I see you in a week? Should I see you in two weeks? Should I see you in four weeks? Uh, and, um, you know, usually I'm going to follow, you know, what I talked about earlier with some of these studies. And if I'm seeing them early, I'll probably see them in two weeks, maybe in even a week. If they're in PT, you know, within days of me seeing them, yeah, I'll, I'll see them back in, you know, pretty quickly. But if I've seen them two, three, four weeks out, I'll see you in a month. I'll see you in six weeks. If I'm getting multiple, you know, referrals, I'm sending them to, uh, a specialist for headaches or I'm, you know, having them get a neuropsych eval, even putting them on medication, I'm probably going to see them back, you know, three, four weeks from then, you know, maybe a phone call in the middle. Um, but it, again, it really just depends on, you know, what in each individual is and uh, it, it, what each symptoms, each individual and what their treatment needs are. Yeah. Ba based on the chronicity or the expected degree of chronicity of it. Uh, and that's based on how long it, it took for them to get to you is how you dictate how long they're, you know, you're, you should follow up. Right. So if it took them longer to get to you, you're not going to expect change overnight. So right. you want, you, but again, you know, I, I, sense. Um, again, the, the big thing is, is uh, you know, I, I would probably rather have a follow-up visit too far out. And then you mom or dad calls me up or, you know, so-and-so Johnny comes in and says, Dr. Eck, I'm doing great. Can I potentially get cleared? Um, and, you know, I just make sure I have, you know, if I send them to PT or whatever, I have the notes. So I, you know, we're all in agreement, you know, as far as the treatment plan goes. 
Um, and then I bring them in, I get them evaluated and I'm just like, okay, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about getting you back into the field. Let's talk about getting you back in a car. Let's talk about getting you back in school or, or whatever. Yeah, let's you know, talk whatever about it. it I, that's a perfect segue. So when does the return to play return to practice? When does that start? Wait, before you answer, going back to the treatment part for, sure. for people who are not in, in sure. the, you touched on, you touched for, on not putting someone in a dark room. And that's what, like, a lot of people old school think is how you treat a concussion. Hmm? Why not? Yeah, so the, again, it used to be just shut everybody down, complete brain rest, right? Uh, you know, allow things to calm uh, and then reintroduce into the world at some arbitrary time, right? So now we know that um, the initial period of rest, uh, and I'll let Dr. Eck elaborate on this, um, 24 to 48 hours. And then again, it's graded return to activity. So getting you back into things that you're normally you're doing within a like symptom, you know, I call it again, the, the two point rule within a reasonable symptom window, because it's important for our bodies to, to get back into that stimulation. We have to be there eventually anyway. Right. So if you completely turn that off, you know, for a week, two weeks, and then try to just say, go for it. Right. They're, the world is is new to them. It just gets hit. They get hit hard. So we've learned from all that. And again, it's it's that greater exposure. So it's not just like willy nilly, you know. All right, yeah, go. You're good. Even though you have a five out of ten headache with everything, go. It's no. You you had your rest. Okay, we've ruled out any significant pathology, red flags, you know, other stuff like that. And now it's a confirmed concussion. Here's the rehab protocol. It's graded return to exposure. You know. Maybe Dr. X making accommodations at school for a certain percentage of activity he feels is comfortable for the patient where they can stay in that window and stuff like that. Um, you know, and then we'll get into what Mike was talking about with the return to play or the return to work kind of protocol. I think the simple answer is that's what the research says. If the research has proven that that isolating, like the, not only the psychological impact, but also the, the, you know, the cognitive impact and, you know, Hey, you know, exposed to the world now, like come out of the dark room, isn't healthy. It doesn't work. There's prolonged recoveries when, when that is happening. So I think the research supports that a, 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 a slow progression to, and you can, you know, this better than I do a slow progression to activity um, as tolerated within the rules that, you know, the guidelines we've outlined already, you know, is, is the best way to go. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with every single thing that's just been said. I mean, again, if a kid in high school is going to have class for what, an hour or, you know, thereabouts or 45 minutes, whatever. Um, so if they can only tolerate 15 minutes of a class, then they should probably only do 15 minutes or is that class even really worth it for them to even go. Right. So if they have a, um, a web design or a, an artsy class, that's, uh, you know, purely online graphic design, or they're designing a website or whatever, um, and computer screens give them problems. Well, they're not going to that class. That's you know already a given. Um, or they're like in a welding class or a woodshop class or something like that. That's just super loud and and the noise bothers them. Yeah, no, we got to cut that out. You know, Johnny has a problem with uh, with math. All right, he just can't concentrate on the numbers for more than ten minutes without getting a massive headache. Uh, you know, that, now that may be his baseline, but, you know, at least if we can identify that being an issue that got worse and maybe you can only stand five minutes, then, you know, again, we got to severely limit how much, you know, math he's doing, but he does, he does great in English. 
Yeah. He can run on a treadmill for 15 minutes. Okay, well, we can let him do that stuff because it doesn't make his symptoms worse. Uh, or he can watch TV for 30 minutes to an hour without any problems, but then he can't go outside and walk for 20 minutes with his, with his mom or dad just to get out of the house just because the bright, the bright sun, you know, if, especially if it's in the summer, you know, those are all things you have to take into consideration. And, and it's a, unfortunately a very gray area as to, you know, how, how do we kind of assess all that stuff? And most importantly, and oftentimes with pediatric patients, it's great to have mom or dad there so that you can educate them and they can have a buy-in here because they're going to have to be the advocates of the patient, mostly at school uh, and more, most importantly at home. You find that's important, Mike, to educate family, like family or parents as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Remember, I only do 1%. Everything else is subjective and education. <laughs> so, yeah, no, big time. Because uh, especially, yeah, you have somebody who's young, right? Like uh, they might articulate that my head hurts like a three, but then mom and dad can also help them, like, you know, talk them through certain things that they might not understand, right? So, and mom and dad can definitely get, again, you get the buy-in, right? So not that they have to be helicopter on top of them, but they're going to also fend for their child of like, all right, you know, this stuff needs to happen for them to get better, right? And if everyone's on the same page then there's no mixed messages, injured individuals, not confused, the family support system's not confused, Right. They're telling the, the, the teachers now everybody's on the same page. Right. So, yeah, education. Big All time. Right. No, I love it. Nailed it. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Isabella, the podcast producer for the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast. And this is the conclusion of part one with Dr. Eck and Mike Keenan, all about concussions. And we will be back next week to dive more into return to play and the future of concussion treatment and evaluation. So do not forget to tune in next Tuesday. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening to the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It would mean so much to me if you could leave us a five-star review so more listeners like you could get this important information. See you next time.